0: Welcome to Revenue Champions, I'm Alice
1: and I'm John. We interview leaders, experts and entrepreneurs in the B2B space.
0: Giving you the inside tips, tricks and hacks for you to grow and scale your B2B business today. Hi there everyone and welcome to another episode of Revenue Champions. Um, I'm really excited this is the second episode like this we're doing where I'm kind of deep diving some real tactical marketing insights with another marketing leader. So I've got Pete Van Neste, who's head of marketing at Pinpoint with me today, which I'm really excited about. They're a B2B SaaS talent acquisition software company. I'll let Pete introduce himself a bit further and kind of the stage of growth that they're at. And then we're going to deep dive some of his great questions and see what insights I can offer. And yeah, we'll just kind of keep it really tactical.
1: Cool. Thanks, Alice. And hey, everyone. Really excited to be here. So yeah, I'm Pete. I've been with Pinpoint about two years. I was the first marketer here. Uh, this is the third team that I've built from scratch, the first in B2B SaaS. Um, and so for those of you that don't know us, as Alice said, we're a talent acquisition pack platform, and that sounds super geeky, um, but as I'm talking to marketers and salespeople, you can kind of think of us as HubSpot for recruitment. So we help organizations to attract, hire, and onboard more of the right people. Um, we do that through helping them do better recruitment marketing, engaging their hiring managers better through the recruitment process, and helping their sort of people and talent acquisition teams to improve their processes. And through all of that, making sure that their candidate's a great experience. So from the first time that they hit the careers website right through to the end of their onboarding process. Super exciting journey so far. We're growing around 10% a month right now, close to 100% of revenue as marketing source today. And then market wise, we're focused primarily on UK, Europe and North America. Um, we're probably logo split about 70-30 US-UK and revenue is about a 50-50 split right now. We have customers in 49 countries um, but they're typically headquartered either North America or Europe um, and then we're just servicing kind of satellite offices globally for them.
0: Amazing and who's your biggest competitor? Is it like the likes of Workable or is that like it's, so it's part of what you guys do and there isn't really... Someone doing the whole thing that you guys offer.
1: No, it's it's a really um congested market, actually. Um and so yes, we'd say that workable is a competitor in, in sort of like European-based competitors. Um and then we have like yeah. the likes of greenhouse, lever smart recruiters who just raised a massive round uh, in the US. Um, there are hundreds of competitors in this kind of like applicant tracking system space. And so it's kind of like trying mm-hmm. to carve out a little bit of a niche for ourselves that
0: niche yeah okay cool makes sense great okay well let's crack on into some of your questions and to start with it was all about maintaining rate of growth so i guess you've just given a really good um background into like where you guys are with your growth rate and that 10 month on month which is amazing um and like for some context in terms of cognizant and where we are we are well on track to 20 million we should be there by the end of october we kind of think at, at, at plan and at run rate um currently and then in terms of like how that split, so right now, we as marketing, we contribute 50% of that new business revenue number. Well, that's what we are targeted on. Actually, when I ran the figures for last quarter, we were at 56% of that new business revenue number, so outperforming that like quite significantly. And that's how we base our plans. So it's always planned around marketing contributing the 50%, but then still having a big focus on outbound as well. And I guess how, so in terms of what's determined that split, historically... Marketing when I joined was actually just kind of an added bonus. So there wasn't any predictability around it. We didn't have really any other channels working except for events. Events was like the core focus of the team and just really executing sponsored event strategy. And so it was all outbound. I guess I literally came to the job to be asked to build a predictable engine that could get us to the 50%. We did start hitting that sort of six months in the journey probably. And like now we're up at that 56%, which is great to see. So, And we don't have any revenue coming from events. Um, obviously, COVID has played a part in that, but we'd already decided to cull events well be up before that. So we've completely redone all of our channels and our focuses to be able to get to that place where we can be predictable and scale and kind of turn the tap on and off as required. I guess the thing that will de- you know, determine whether we will continue to increase marketing over outbound, I think... A lot of it comes down to efficiency so this kind of comes nicely on to like your next group of questions around CAC so like what channel is most efficient what's performing best but also as you grow marketing is going to scale more efficiently like 100% more than you know outbound and also it's really really hard to maintain a high level of outbound output because it's so people focused and driven and we're seeing that as we scale now like you know there is any turnover within the outbound team really impacts them and even just trying to maintain that level of recruitment for the number of um, heads we need to hit our outbound meetings number is like a a, a consistent battle and so that's where I guess outbound becomes more difficult at scale and where you kind of see some benefits from scaling marketing we're actually onboarding a new CFO towards the latter part of this year and you know i'm sure part of what they'll be looking at for our plans for next year is kind of where that split should be based on our cac and happy to say i mean we've talked about uh, well you've asked me lots of questions around cac so maybe i should tackle some of these but yeah we've we're lucky with with uh, from a marketing perspective that we've been able to keep our cac pretty low like we're now down about 2.5 in some of our best months which is great but a lot of it has been about us i was going to cover this in a bit later but maybe I'll, I'll dig into it now but everything that i think about whether it's a new piece of technology or a new experiment that we want to try or whatever it may be i have to have a reason why that could help make us like more efficient in terms of mm-hmm. delivering us more opportunities into the pipeline that's how i think about it not so much the revenue because that's like earlier in the pipeline and if there, if I can't see a clear way forward for that initiative to enable that, then it's normally something that I'm not like going to proceed with. Everything is kind of focused on CAC with CAC in mind. Like we don't just sort of spend without thinking about it. And we like as we had done before when I joined, when events were a big thing, what we saw was actually we had this horrible chart where CAC would skyrocket in the month of an event. And then it was just like, and it also hit outbound because the outbound team were taken off and had to run the events and it was just like not a great place to be. So consistency, I guess, is another lever that I'll always look at. So a practical example, if you're looking to reduce CAC and some things you could do. Recently, we just onboarded Lean Data to route all of our inbound leads and content leads and everything, deal with all the marketing demands straight to reps and the whole Mm -hmm. I guess the whole thinking around this was speed to lead. If we can speed up, yeah, the, the amount of time that it took for a, an MDR or an SDR to be able to action that lead. So it turning up in their cadence frictionless um, assigned within five minutes, then we knew we were gonna get an uplift in our conversion rates. Well, we, sure. we, we predicted that we would get an uplift in our conversion rates. And we're actually seeing about two X on that now, which is great. And the other thing has been that we've actually been able to now give more of the content needs to more of the SDRs and so we are converting a higher volume of leads than we were before because we were limited by capacity before it wasn't super efficient because we had you know we were actually like generating too many leads and they couldn't get through enough of them and then the cost going into the marketing spreadsheet was like was increasing if I had to add new MDR heads so instead what we've done is by onboarding lean data we're now able to route all leads equally round robin to the pool team and that has really helped on the CAC and the efficiency mm-hmm. and also just the conversion rates from all of that I don't know if you have any questions on I've just spoken loads so yeah
1: yeah that, that, that's really helpful I guess like going back to that inbound outbound split like today we're doing basically zero outbound we're kind of like capturing demand in the US because it's a big market and there's a big in-market audience. Um, UK is maybe a bit more of a mix of capture versus create demand, but the UK is a market that we're really trying to push into. Like when we looked at doing outbound into the UK, like it's a much sort of smaller market um, and we quickly figured out that we burned through all of our kind of target accounts that would be really great prospects for us over the course of sort of six months if we made a big outbound effort into the UK. Like, is your split in terms of like marketing versus sales source different in different geographies? Or how have you kind of scaled that in sort of the smaller markets?
0: Yeah, so it's a great question. I mean, it's not different because of the size of the market. We actually our biggest team sits in the UK. So I guess just quickly on that point to give you some context, like from a mid-market enterprise SDR outbound perspective, they'll have like 200 accounts probably to work a month and they're not allowed, they don't get allocated new accounts unless like an outcome has happened from that account. And that's like run from the ops team. So that gives us like more runway and less wastage, I guess on in terms of our TAM. Mm-hmm. Cause I would have thought, you know, cause you're saying sort of it's the first HR hire, isn't it? in like a SaaS startup company or there should be enough to go out after for some some outbound reps you know even if not like a, a team of 20 like we have but I sure. think also the other thing is it's in terms of why our other markets have smaller teams we're just waiting to prove out the model and then we'll scale it so once we we call it eighty twenty, 20 like if 80 percent of reps are hitting their target their number mm-hmm. then we can scale more and obviously assuming like we haven't completely whitewashed our TAM but we have a massive TAM so TAM really isn't so much of an issue for us i guess we're lucky in that perspective but you can also get super strategic Mm. on your outbounding and i think where we're seeing outbound to have the biggest value is on the more like enterprise mid-market accounts as well where you've got to you've got to be leveraging like five or six decision makers and that's hard to do through marketing actually and really does need like sort of that human touch
1: And, and i guess that's the same for us and i guess like in those smaller accounts where we are maybe targeting the first HR hire in a smaller startup, for example, like there's one or two people we're trying to get in front of there. And perhaps the um, sort of contract value doesn't justify a big strategic approach into that account. Um, whereas yes, you're totally right. Like those mid market and enterprise accounts, like we can be much more strategic and you can invest a lot more in kind of targeting all the different people within those accounts. Okay. No, that, that, that kind of makes sense. I guess like you've, massively increased your target this year i think like you're trying to add like is it about 10 million of revenue this year versus sort of five last year like what have been the biggest differences for you as a marketing team in in terms of kind of trying to get that five million target last year versus the 10 this year and like what do you wish that you'd done last year to better kind of set yourself up for that massive increase this year
0: yeah it's a great question and the, to be honest, the biggest thing that we've done differently, what well, I've kind of approached I've taken differently this year has been to hire on some quite experienced hires into my team. So when I joined, we, I'm, and communism as a whole, our sort of mentality is to hire grads and train up grads. And it's great and it makes an amazing culture and, and we have some amazing talent by doing that. But I do think in marketing, when speed is of the essence and like significantly, you know, high targets are at play, Sometimes you've got to shortcut that process and um, you just need to hire some, some serious experience and some big guns. So I think the big thing that I have done differently this year has been to hire them on board. And where I've hired them is, so in our performance role, we have a very experienced person now heading up the performance piece. That's all of our paid. A pain point that we were finding because we actually had an old SDR working on the performance side. So he had been SDR and then we got pushed him into performance marketing. He was doing an amazing job. Um, but just actually having the knowledge to know how to scale that to the next level was kind of missing. So how, by employing someone with who's just done this their whole life and has got like 10 years of experience has really helped us like speed up that process. So that's one that was one of the hires. Another hire that I've, we've made is actually a customer marketer, a quite a senior customer marketer, because we're looking at where we can bring revenue in from the customer base and the upselling piece there and help improve our net retention mm-hmm. and all of that piece too so that would be another one and then in new markets so some of that revenue target is coming from new markets so us going into the DAC market with Cognizant, and we've hired someone with a lot of experience there into that role too so those kind of three key hires for me this year have been really important because yeah it's just not possible at this kind of scale with those sorts of targets <laughs> otherwise I don't
1: think. Sure yeah you, you talked about the account growth and like obviously like sort of net dollar retention is becoming really important to valuations right now. Like as a marketing team, do you have specific like KPIs around how you're supporting that kind of account growth and minimizing churn?
0: Yeah. So we are starting out on this journey very much. So our customer marketer literally started on Monday. So um, she will be building that all out and we've only, as of the first of this month, we actually spit out our customer success and our account management team. So we have, Customer success now of just dealing with servicing customers from ensuring they have success with the product rather than responsible for the upsell, cross sell piece. Sure. And the account manager team firmly sitting in that revenue generating pot. So, you know, their targets and things are, are still just kind of beginning to be worked out. And how Karen, our customer marketer, works with them and supports them is obviously all being built into it. So, we're at the beginning of that journey. And I'd say it's going to be very much like everything at consumer a test and learn mentality the other thing to note is that actually we've predominantly had smb client base until now mm-hmm. um we have restructured as of the start of july to split into segments so we have smb mid market and enterprise now and obviously by targeting the larger organizations the ability to cross it up so is going to increase um significantly than when we have just previously been looking more at the smb segment so it's a big focus and we've restructured we've created a team for it and we've also hired specifically at marketing and we're going to hmm. grow that now into H two
1: okay and so so would you say that the fact that you've been kind of like focused on the smb market and so perhaps like lifetime values are a bit lower in that kind of segment and kind of you're expecting them to maybe leave f- for a 12 months and then come back and steal all your data again and maybe leave again for 12 months to come back and steal all your data again. Um, Is that kind of why your um, CAC has been so low historically? Like you're talking about like two and a half months in a good month, maybe three months um, because actually they're likely to churn at like the 12, 13 month point. Whereas maybe as you shift up market, like there's more competition for those enterprise clients. And so you're going to see CAC increase as you kind of service those segments.
0: I mean I think it's a very fair assumption to make and we'll have to see what the reality of that looks like I mean not even just on the fact from the churn perspective but just the cost of acquisition is definitely higher in those markets but as Hmm. mentioned it's more competitive and yeah it's just it's a more difficult sale which means we need to do more and we need more decision makers involved it's not transactional you know we've 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 gone from thirty-day sales cycles to we're looking at like probably more like ninety days on the mid-market and enterprise. So that in itself sure. is going to definitely increase our CAC, well, no doubt. Um, but we will keep doing everything we can to push it down for sure. Um, and then I, I was just going to quickly move us maybe on if you're if that's okay to channel saturation because I think that's a really mm, interesting sure. topic, and I mm. think it's something that a lot of marketers. of think about and struggle with as a like yeah as a focus um and if you're not thinking about it then definitely Mm. do think about it i guess would also be a tip from my side i suppose one thing i said already we have a big tam so we're lucky in that respect but what we what i Mm -hmm. have been concerned about increasingly is our reliance on mqls and like the content engine that we have which is very efficient at the smb level but whether that's going to play going upwards again i'm I'm less sure of Mm -hmm. so we are doing this exercise where we split our funnel completely so we have direct demand funnel so that's people who come to the website with intent request a demo and we can see that they're converting at a rate of 45 percent from form fill to opportunity and then we have the funnel with the mqls which is like content download or some other marketing initiative which brings them to us and then that conversion to opportunity sits around 10 to 13%. And obviously that's very clear then to see where you want to scale and like what's going to be most effective again, from a cap perspective, but everything. And so we are probably operating now where we were a hundred, it was pretty much a 50, 50. Well, it was a, yeah, probably a 50, 50 split before in terms of our emphasis. We're now trying to go for more like 30%, 70% on the demand side versus the mql piece a lot of that is a shift in mentality a shift in tactical execution so we are deciding to ungate some of our best content pieces we are paying to get it out in front of our target audience we're not asking for anything in return we're actually thinking about how to like we're measuring success by literally just engagement metrics versus did we capture that lead the good news is we have been able to see a correlation uplift of 45 percent in the direct demand funnel by having that spend active on the awareness, I call it the awareness funnel. And actually we've been producing less MQLs, but actually converting more of them from the sales team as well. So it seems at the moment like it's working. And I guess like we're still very much at the days of like experimenting through how that's going to roll out and whether we go fully dark Mm. funnel, no MQLs, that yeah, let's see by the end of the half where we get to on that. Don't know if you have any questions around that too.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting, and I saw your presentation the other day on um, I can't remember it was it was an event somewhere um, talking about that sort of forty five percent uplift. Um, obviously, like you had this like great trajectory anyway outside of kind of that additional spend, and like we could see those SQOs increasing month on month. Like, how are you kind of like looking at? Those correlation metrics and kind of making sure that actually those SQOs wouldn't be going up month on month anyway if you were to turn off a bunch of that kind of like brand or ungated content that you're running out to right now.
0: Yeah I mean it's a great question and sure, it's going to be one of those that's like I mean as I mean Chris Walker talks about this all the time mm. like we you have to take educated assumptions I guess is kind of the best way to, for us to look at it Sure. and right now we are just looking at the correlation and seeing that's like the only way really, because these are a normalized visits, normalized that's not the word. Yeah. Normalized visits. We yeah. cannot tie the individual back ever to that demo request. Like it's just not in the new world in which we're working and operating, not really possible. And yes, there's loads a technology out there that we could implement we could get really complex mm. with our attribution model and Salesforce and all of that. But I think for right now, because we're just testing out the waters, and trying to prove it out, we I'm less worried about it and I just want us to focus on the actual tactical sure. execution of this new way forward versus getting too stuck on the data, which is very unlike me. You would ask my team, i normally, if you can't prove it and you can't measure it, then don't do it. So yeah, it's a big shift from my side to be taking this approach. But as long as all the metrics, I guess the core metrics, have to remain stable so cost per lead, cost per SQO, cost per meeting booked, cost per meeting attended, CPA and then we need to be increasing our volume accordingly and also converting at a higher rate from throughout both funnels that for me is like success and I'm happy and I'll progress with that strategy that's kind of ticked all the boxes.
1: No, that's super interesting and validating to hear as well, because like you are sort of like a year or two ahead of us in terms of like that revenue growth journey. And like, I'm very much the same, like I'll look at like first or last touch in HubSpot and there's like the success team, are clamoring for us to upgrade to enterprise. And from a marketing perspective, like multi-touch attribution is the one thing that I would benefit from there. But I'm going like, we can go and spend all day stuck in some multi-touch attribution model that actually is still entirely imperfect.
0: Yeah, completely. Or
1: we can just crack on and ship stuff that we know is working and performing and yet yeah, that CAC is stable. And I guess like thinking about Cognizant, my first touch with Cognizant was a social post that you put out where you publicly shared some Salesforce dashboards earlier this year.
0: Yeah. That
1: and probably, I was like, yeah. that's never going to be attributed to anything, any any Salesforce platform or multi-touch attribution software that you have at Cognizant, right? So no, that's really interesting to hear, I guess. you you, you talk a lot about the kind of ungated content and I think like you were talking to Chris Walker on a recent podcast episode and he was sort of saying no put all of the content out to your kind of like entire audience whereas you've been trying to build maybe some tighter funnels where it's like hey here's our sort of top of funnel video here's our middle of funnel video and here's our call to action like what is your view on that have yes, you, have so you changed maybe, that conversation with Chris or are you kind we of... We changed
0: it that day. Okay. <laughs> so it's really interesting because I'll give you a bit completely like transparent. We obviously, this is all very, I think it's new to marketing, right? This Chris Walker strategy, as I call it. Mm. So we actually all got together. I got the team together in London for a day or two days. It was but got pinged by COVID. So we ended up being a day and then we'd had one team for 10 days. Anyway, so it was a, a day workshop like two months ago. And I was like, I was a complete skeptic of Chris I had him on this podcast to say um to debate that ebooks are dead because we were having such success with them and I just wanted to sure. like pick his brains on the whole thing anyway I've come around to some of his way of thinking and I was honest and I said i I pick and choose the bits that I think are yeah will work for us whether it could be right or wrong for another organization but anyway we literally just said we're going to dissect the Chris Walker strategy listen to all of his podcasts and put it like try and work out for ourselves what we think you know he's kind of The plays that he's running because he doesn't really give you a lot of tactical stuff so i what we did was build up what we called awareness funnels and we had stage one two and three and like you said we had these sort of different stage videos and different ctas within each phase what was becoming really difficult for us to manage was we were running those on facebook and linkedin we had split them out into each segment And the budgets then were becoming like smaller and smaller in each. And I just couldn't really figure out how this was gonna scale effectively without like tons more spend. So actually when Chris said that to me on the podcast, just shove it all in the same same campaign. It was like, oh, that's actually a bit of a relief. And I mean, we'll still measure it against what Mm. we were doing before because we were getting conversions on the phase three and the the retargeting did seem to, to do well. We've only been live now with the new way for like 10 days. So let's see how that goes. But I guess from a scale perspective, it makes so much more sense to me that they all sit within the same campaign. And I also do think as marketers, we do Mm -hmm. overcomplicate things. Like I was thinking like, yes, we thought that's how they're going to know that they saw that top of funnel ad from me like three days, I don't know, a week ago. And then they're getting this other ad, you know, a week later, they're not going to connect the two. They don't know the now middle of the funnel, and they definitely don't know the now bottom of the funnel. like no, they just like good, helpful content to the right audience in front of them they can consume is the key. and so it did make a lot more sense and it does seem more fit for scale. so I guess i'm I'm i I do agree with that approach for now, but we'll see how it goes testing it,
1: yeah, totally. And I guess like you've talked about moving up market a bit, and I think like, Maybe we're in a similar position in that, like, our time is huge. In theory, we could sell to anybody. And right now we're capturing demand from an in-market audience. And as long as they can afford our product and we can solve their challenges, we're happy to sell to them kind of regardless of industry. Like, as you've been thinking about increasing ACV and kind of like shift up market, have you been able as a marketing team to persuade the organization to kind of like a little bit more target in terms of like industry or like what your icp looks like and to create content that's a little bit more targeted and specific or are you still keeping things quite broad
0: it's really interesting it's actually the complete opposite so what has we've got a new sales leader who's joined the organization and we actually had quite strict what we called our rag statuses we had industry split into red amber green pretty much green was like uh, information services like SaaS software, like it was, and recruitment, that was the main ones, to be honest. And we mm-hmm. pretty much put all resource into targeting those core industries. Uh, this new sales leaders come in and mm-hmm. he said, I just want everyone to have more conversations, like that is the aim. I want more conversations. So the okay. kind of right now, the aim we've completely, opened, we actually only have probably a select number of really non fit industries. Maybe it's like 10 and Mm -hmm. everything else is, we want to go, we want to spend money on a target. We want to have conversations with. So that's the current thinking. However, I would say Mm
1: -hmm.
0: from the, in the enterprise segment, we are accounts driven because our account SDRs and Mm -hmm. AEs have got their, they've made their list of accounts. And so, and their list of accounts, funnily enough, are all what originally were our green industries. So we will get more targeted with those just because of the nature of the account they've selected. But generally on the mid-market and SMB, Mm -hmm. the emphasis is on just having more conversations.
1: Sure. I I don't know if this is really a question for you, but I'm sure you have conversations with sales all day. Like we have a challenge, right, where an AE can be speaking to a, you know, 10,000 headcount organization in New York in the retail section at 10 o'clock. And at 11 o'clock, they could be talking to a 50 person startup in Europe. Like mm-hmm. when your sales team was perhaps smaller than it is today, how were you able to kind of support the sales team in making sure that they have the right information and the right sort of positioning for all of those different sort of organizations or personas within those organizations that they'd be interacting with like hour by hour?
0: very badly like so i think the new structure works so much better for that mm-hmm. for that reason we didn't we everything was pulled together there was no segment split and actually there was vague regional split but really oftentimes the company my organization might be HQ in america but the person we were dealing with as anemia right. that became anemia deal but you were actually talking to stakeholders in like both so but now we have clear territory lines split we have region overlaid on top of segment and that has enabled us to take our like sales enablement to another level Mm -hmm. and we're actually reworking all personas right now so our product marketer who's completely focused on that problem of i want to understand what an enterprise workflow looks like for a SaaS tech organization versus Mm -hmm. what like an smb workflow use cases and then that will obviously all get documented and provided to the teams but we're just beginning that process and i would say the sales team would be selling what ended up happening is they were selling we had like amazons and googles coming in but we would actually just sell Mm -hmm. like one license because they weren't equipped we didn't have the right yeah resources available to them or information they weren't and it wasn't set up correctly for them to actually be able to fully um, make the most of what you know what should have been an enterprise deal ended up being like an sure. just an SMB deal with an enterprise organization.
1: Sure and that sounds totally familiar it's like frustrating because you could just see yourself leaving money on the table in those examples can't you?
0: Yeah I mean I guess the good thing is now there's like so much room for upsell cross sell for these A's who we've hmm. created so um, AM's who can now go and yeah, work their magic there but yeah obviously not an ideal situation um so totally yeah we are matured. but maybe all good
1: for next year's valuation yeah.
0: right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so what would you is there anything particular you want to cover next from we can go into i've got you've got the mdr role and the people piece which would you like to focus on yeah I,
1: I i think the M- Yeah, both. I mean, like maybe the MDR role is a good place to go now. Like we're talking about that sales and marketing thing working together. Like I love your idea of the MDR role. And like when we started talking about organization structure, I was always like SDRs should live in marketing or BDRs should live in marketing because actually their marketing's number is qualified opportunities. And it just takes away that whole opportunity for friction, Mm -hmm. right? As long as the AEs are happy with the opportunities that they're getting, then... Everything's good. But I guess in your example, like you've got your MDR sitting in the marketing team and then you have your like outbound SDR sat in sales.
0: So actually MDRs sit in sales still we are I can give you some stories here. But ah, okay. so we've had a long and interesting path to what works on the on the MDR front and originally we mm-hmm. put the sort of worst performing outbound reps into the mdr role because we thought well if they can't do outbound then it might be easier if they've got like they're just given demand to work terrible idea because if you're starting something new you need to put your okay. best people into that role always 100 percent of the mm-hmm. time i think the other thing was we had put it straight into marketing now that was also made the role unattractive to sales people they didn't want to be in marketing i think there's quite a lot of um i'm not going to say ego but like stigma maybe around Mm -hmm. like being yeah an outbound rep and that and that career path for you and I think it's harder for them to see when it sits in marketing so and also because the training like the training that they get all happens from the sales team it's all set up within the sales org structure so what we have learned put your best people in the role have it sit in sales but tie your futures really closely together so by that I mean Mm -hmm. we've created comp plans for the MDRs which are you know aligned to marketing targets. So we, if we aren't delivering to them, the right number Mm -hmm. of qualified leads, they're not going to hit their SQA targets, which means that marketing won't hit their SQA targets. And so therefore everyone fails. So tying their, like tying the futures really closely together, forces the alignment, forces like the, yeah, forces everyone to work closely together and enable each other properly. So that was something we also discovered.
1: Hmm.
0: One thing too, as well, was we've recently, we recently broke it out even further. So we have an inbound only rep deals with all of the direct demo, actually we have two now direct demo requests that come straight to the, straight through the website and everything else like drift, et cetera. They, that's all they do every day. They just qualify, book in, follow up, et cetera. And then we have the ones who are dealing with the MQL from like content downloads and events and everything else. And that again, worked really well. We saw a big uplift by specializing to add another layer to this Mm. when starting from July we have now kept the inbound MDR role that remains in place but as I mentioned we were struggling to scale MDRs efficiently for the the number of leads that we were getting so we've actually implemented lean data Mm -hmm. removed the MQL MDRs and now all leads are routed throughout the whole SDR team and as I mentioned what I was so skeptical, I was very concerned because I thought all the things that worked really well about the MDRL well was the close alignment to marketing. We'd brief them on new content, explain the pitch, the talk mm-hmm. trap, etc. Um, get loads of feedback from them too. That's so hard to do when you've got like twenty, twenty-five reps to, to like to train up and right. but what what has happened actually is speed to lead has really helped and we just put a huge emphasis on training throughout the whole of this month and by having more people mm-hmm. working more of the leads, we are getting more from it. So yeah, that's kind of where we are. Inbound Mm. role still remains though. And I think that's really crucial.
1: Sure. So, So what does the career trajectory look like now? Is it that like the outbound SDRs are all clamoring to get into the like inbound team because like that's perceived as like the better quality role to be in and then it's like a promotion from there to AE and that's kind of like the ideal trajectory or or like how has that changed since you've moved like MDRs into sales formally?
0: That's still how we want it to be. Like uh, our sales director, John, strongly believes that by being in that inbound role, you are way more qualified. Well, you're learning much more because you're having many more conversations with prospects. So you're becoming Mm -hmm. more equipped for the AE position versus obviously but want, we want you to cut your teeth in cold calling first as well. So, like, you earn the right to deal with inbound. So, I think that's kind of how we see it. Like, be successful in your cold outbound, earn the right to have the inbound piece, and have those conversations and develop your skills, and then going into like the closing roles.
1: Okay, uh, just like I, I didn't put this on our list of questions, and it's a little bit of a tangent, but um, just thinking about that SDR and AE split like something we we've been kind of keen not to do is to have an initial call with prospect that is like SDR led and very Mm -hmm. like kind of bank focused if they've inbounded and they're like clearly high intent like how are you thinking about that is there an initial call for like qualification with those kind of MDRs or is the MDR just immediately just trying to set a meeting with the A?
0: yep so um it's quite an interesting debate because this whole thing isn't there about like, do, would you, mm. would you send your inbound lead straight to an AE? Now we had this discussion, talked it through. Um, don't want to do that because for us, speed to lead is a pinnacle. We, we will respond sure. in under five minutes. And there, we just know that if you're in market and you're looking, especially as you go mid market enterprise, you're in a process, you're going to be exploring other options. We want to be the first people mm. to speak to you. We want to give you the best totally. experience possible you can have. And part of that mm. really good experience is not putting them through band. Like it is just about right. having a, Having our co- that's why we have experienced reps as well, dealing with them, because we want to have mm-hmm. people who are also can act almost like an advisor and an expert, have those okay. conversations with our inbounds and yeah book them in with the right AE as quickly as possible and make the experience frictionless. Mm-hmm. We also want to book in within two days. We don't want to wait for it like very long at all sure. to have that demo. So, yeah, that's kind of I think it all feeds into it by having someone senior in that role. hmm don't stick you don't need to stick to like a bank criteria you can trust them obviously they get pulled up if you know we're seeing conversion rates drop within the funnel mm-hmm. because we're just booking and not great fit organizations yeah, but um yeah that's kind of how we how we look at it
1: sure but that first meet so like you have your inbound the your mdr calls them within five minutes they're then trying to set a meeting on that call with the appropriate 100%. AE. rather than a 30 minute meeting with themselves to kind of try and qualify right
0: 100 percent. they're just setting that cool call. yeah
1: that's amazing. Yep. Brilliant.
0: Um, and also because they just won't ha- they don't have time either from an efficiency sure. perspective too to be doing that. So it does put more on the AE, but right. we are seeing that it is, it is working well that
1: way. Yeah. And as long as the leads that get to the AE is a quality, presumably they don't mind, right? Because like you talk about your close rate target of like 30% or whatever, and that's basically where we are. And so like, as long as we're maintaining that, I guess everybody's happy.
0: Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very true.
1: Cool. And then like you've talked a little bit about kind of like KPIs for like NDRs, like, how have you thought about comp structure more generally? Because like, I've seen a fair bit of debate recently around, like, should marketing teams just be paid their salary, or should it be some combination of like, you know, base plus bonus for hitting certain targets? And like, as marketing's kind of maybe become closer to actual revenue numbers, that's become somewhat easier. Like, how have you structured that, and is that different between different kinds of roles in the marketing team?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, I I actually think um, we've, I've always been measured on revenue. That's what I've always wanted as well. So Mm. it's very, my marketing team's goals and targets are split out based on um, SQOs within the segment that they're working. So we have inbound paid and content. So it's very easy for us to tie like their activities back to like a, a business outcome. I think Mm. we haven't gone the route yet of like compensating in the same structure as um, sales um, from a marketing side. There's definitely an argument and I would probably be, I would definitely probably be in favor of uh, exploring that as an option. I think it just depends on the types of people as well that you're hiring and if they're comfortable kind of with that too. And the role, Mm -hmm. definitely the role. So performance marketing role, hundred percent, I think you can have it very easily tied to, um a similar compensation structure as you would get in like a in an in a sales organization. Demo- mm-hmm. Demand gen the exact same, I'm sure you could definitely do that easily too. Um, and I think that's the, probably the way that things will move as well. Um, and, and then it takes away because there is a lot of friction always with oh well sales get all the incentives and um you sure. know sales get these commissions and you know blah, 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 all this stuff. But actually if marketing is still contributing that pipeline at a similar rate then yeah I don't think mm-hmm. there's kind of any reason why you couldn't reflect a similar comp structure within the organization not something we've done yet definitely could be something to look at for us to go like when we have our new CFO and things might be things that we start to explore um going forward
1: yeah I guess it just feels like a like very low risk way to offer a slightly more competitive salary in what's like a super competitive market right and yeah it's not something that we do right now, but as we look to expand the team, it's something that's kind of on my mind's so just interested to see what what you were doing there um,
0: I'd be interested if it will put people off that's my that's my concern you know our marketers like I think some of us are, but our marketers fundamentally quite scared of that. I don't know if we're like I think we're making ground towards being more comfortable with revenue mm. and targets of like a sales nature, but it, I just wonder if all talent is yeah is necessarily that same way in kind it would be interesting to see
1: yeah I guess maybe it's attractive to the kinds of people that we're trying to attract like we're bootstrapped and we intend to stay that way Um, and so we have to be incredibly efficient so we're interested in bringing in marketers that really want their role to be tied to revenue and I was having a conversation with someone on the team a couple of days ago and she was like how can we make sure more of what we're doing with like the podcast we're tying somehow directly to revenue because that's an area of her responsibility and so like she wants that level of responsibility. And if we can find more people like that through that comp structure, perhaps that's helpful. I don't know.
0: Yeah, Um, that's a good way.
1: I guess you've talked a lot about your team structure and I guess maybe that's old ground that we don't need to cover again. Um, But like you've come from a much smaller organization where you were sort of leading marketing. You've come to Cognizant. It's a much larger team. Like how have you thought about making sure that larger team is working efficiently because like we all know that we can throw one developer at a problem or we can throw 10 developers at the problem but 10 developers doesn't mean things happen at 10 times the speed and like it's the same for marketing right like how have you structured like your meeting cadence and things like that to make sure that like the team is being as efficient as possible
0: yeah i would say it's a consistent process a consistent process we definitely got to a point where we had we had to hire more people from a capacity perspective, but then we hired more people and we struggled on the output. Like I, was, I wasn't happy with where we were from an output perspective versus where we'd been before when it was just like two of us doing the same amount of work. Right. So we've definitely seen that and the things that we've done to overcome it. So actually within their personal development plans, we implemented some KPIs around how long certain repeatable activities and tasks should take. Okay. So that's one thing. I think with marketing it's very oftentimes easy to be busy on busy work. Like right. not saying you're not it's you're doing a webinar, but a webinar is not a webinar can actually be done, set up and in place and sort of automated, in my opinion, within about four four to six hours, you know, if every if you had all the elements in place. Agreed. All the design points. So that's something we just try and enforce within the team through like KPIs around it. The other sure. thing is we run two weekly sprints, marketing Mm -hmm. sprints and we use monday.com to run those and we will set out tasks within the so it's mainly for the demand gen team and performance team that we focus on this which is like Mm -hmm. what are our priorities the next two weeks the subtasks we set the dates on them get alerts like we will ensure that there looks to be a fair amount of work kind of allotted to each individual within the team and we try and track that as closely as possible like through managers etc and that has helped the, the definitely running those sprints has helped us yeah, increase output. The other thing is kind of accountability. We do a weekly meeting where everyone will showcase what they've been doing that week. So mm. I think by knowing that you will be kind of in the spotlight at the end of a week to showcase like what you've done also mm. helps promote yeah higher output from the team. And then we will have the campaigns teams, the demand Gen team have they have a daily standup. Where they will, it is for the demand mm-hmm. and needed to progress tasks, like be really sure that what's been said to done that day actually gets done. And then sure. we have as a marketing team another like two weekly stand-ups. We have it on Tuesday and we have it on uh Thursday, and then we have the weekly on the Friday. Mm-hmm. So lots and lots of touch points as well where you know we're talking about the things that we're doing. And I think that also surfaces if if there's a lot mm-hmm. of the same work being surfers time and again then like what is the blocker how can we get this to move and push forward also just me as a leader I am like my motto is done is better than perfect I am always pushing like I am right I think people yeah I guess it comes also from a leadership perspective you need to be showcasing what your expectations are and talking about that a lot the time too
1: right yeah like we talk about shipping an 80 percenter and then like it's about protecting the marketing team from the random person who starts complaining about one typo exactly, in a blog post, yeah. which we could have spent 80% more time proofing, but actually we just shipped it. Um, so yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I'm, I'm sort of aware of time, um, but like, how have you thought about uh, the kind of like in-house versus agency or freelancer split, and how's that kind of changed as you've gone from like a smaller team to now, yeah. A much yeah. So team. the way
0: I think about this is, if um, to do that role effectively, a large depth of knowledge about your business and your organisation is required, then it needs to be internal. Also, you need to think about what what is possible to do a good job for the money. So, for example, when I, when I mean that, when I joined Cognizant they had they had outsourced all of their paid marketing efforts, and we were paying I think it was five hundred pounds mm-hmm. a month, and it was terrible right. like it was but but you can't expect that to be good when you're paying 500 pounds a month like no. i think the expectation was all oh, google ads well you just you look put set up some campaigns launch it and then you just leave it and forget about it It's like obviously absolutely right. not how it's you never it. To work and so when you realize that you want eyes on that every day like every two hours like then you know well i need that in-house like i can't pay for that because that would cost me astronomical amounts from an agency so it's about understanding like what Mm -hmm. the expectation for that role is and if it could be done in a cost-effective manner outside so for example we do freelance some writing because we can work we can actually put some time into specific freelancers who we now know can write in our tone of voice and it's an efficient spend from Mm -hmm. a money perspective so that's fine. Um, same from a design perspective. We were able to do that when we were at capacity. But for other roles, like the mm-hmm. performance piece, I just would never, um, never really outsource that.
1: Wow. Okay. No, that's really interesting. I, I guess, like, yeah, m- my default would be to keep anything that's kind of, like, needs that real understanding of the market in-house. And I guess, like, I was thinking, hey, well, perhaps we outsource some elements of the performance stuff, which is more technical, and those agencies have, like, that, broader knowledge of you know the 30 40 100 different businesses they work with but no that, that's that's super interesting and then in terms of like the team growth like you're based primarily in the uh, UK well, right now
0: actually no we have I was thinking about this because we've just gone back to this, well, there is an office now in London open for people but we've got four or five in South Africa off the top of my head today, I can't okay we've got one two in Macedonia three in Macedonia and then we have London and I think that is all the countries, but I'm probably am missing one somewhere. So, yeah, pretty global team.
1: OK, uh, so I guess like final question, like how do you think about comp? And like, I know that's a big topic right now as people are going more and more remote and starting to hire almost anywhere. Like, how do you think about that comp standardization? I think it's
0: fair for the role, right? So fair for the role, fair for the region. Like, fair. and we will, we do a bench very thorough benchmarking process. Mm-hmm. Whenever we go, we have a new role. It will benchmark the salary through, we have an HR system we use. And obviously where you're based is part sure. of that as well. And that will be what the role goes out advertised for as well. So it's all very transparent. And I think it just has to be, yeah, literally that's got to be the process I don't think um you know if someone comes on having that process having happened and then decides to relocate well then I think that's kind of on that Mm -hmm. that's a decision they're making in the knowledge of you know what their role compensation package and everything is and they kind of have to make that decision with that in mind I don't think you necessarily then have to like reflect that um that move but we also don't want to stop people from yeah kind of being a bit you know, able to be international and I mean the time zone is a big factor for us. So assuming time zones work, we won't stop mm-hmm. someone from working the summer in Spain. I don't know. Wherever you can go. But yeah. Um sure. yeah, I think that's kind of how how I approach it really. Transparency, honesty, benchmark.
1: Fair. And so are you typically hiring a role in a particular location right now? So you'll be like, right, this role we're going to hire in the UK, so we're going to pay the UK salary, UK benchmark, this role we're going to hire in South Africa or whatever, and we're going to use the benchmark. Yes, right, exactly. That. Yeah, yeah, okay, Exactly. Cool. That. yeah, no, super yeah. interesting.
0: Yeah, cool. Amazing. Well, I've, yeah, I've, perfect timing. I hope we're able to cover most of the things that you had on your list and somewhat helpful, but Thank you very much for yeah, such comprehensive questions and I think it was a really good chat. Lots of tactical things that we've covered that hopefully be helpful for other people.
1: Sure, really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Alice.
0: Thanks, Pete.